Welcome to The Smiley Connection, a podcast brought to you by the Smiley Professionals Network and The Smiley. On this show, we'll bring you professionals from all walks of life and across all industries to help you grow professionally and personally. We'll laugh, we'll learn, we'll connect. And who knows, you may find your next Smiley Connection on our show. Hi, and Yalimathan. I am Farhan Manjiani, a new voice on the show today, because this is a special episode. On this week's show, we wanted to give you a sneak peek behind the curtain to get to know the incredible team that has actually taken the podcast from inception to episode one. We'll be going to meet each of the creators of the Ismaili Connection. We'll talk about how the idea came to life, history of the name Ismaili Connection, and how the team balances production with their day-to-day jobs and other responsibilities. I hope you enjoy. Sony, please tell us a little bit more about you. Who are you? What do you do professionally on the podcast? And what are you passionate about? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of great questions. So my name is Sony Gossam, and I'm a content creator and news aficionado. Professionally, I'm a news editor at Bloomberg Industry Group, focusing on U.S. and global tax policy. And under IPN, I'm the host and producer of the Smiley Connection podcast. I'm passionate about a lot of things like watching YouTube and sleeping. <laughs> but in seriousness, I'd say storytelling is one of them, whether that's something that inspires people or creating something that makes them stop and think more deeply about the world. I'd also say that I'm also passionate about connecting with people and helping others. And Cass, over to you. Hello, everyone. My name is Cass Ali. I'm the audio editor for the Smiley Connection podcast. Professionally, I am an audio engineer and audio editor at the podcast production company. I work on various podcasts and whatnot, very similar to what I do for this project. What am I passionate about? I'm passionate about a lot of stuff, but in the context of this specific project, just giving um, space for the stories of Smiley brothers and sisters. And I think That's very important, as well as making sure that they are portrayed in the best way. Awesome. Thank you. And Samin, please also introduce yourself. I'm Samin, and for the podcast, I am the marketing lead. So I'll be putting together a lot of the content that goes on social media. And professionally, I'm actually a demand generation marketer, which is a little bit different, but still in the marketing realm. And in terms of what I'm passionate about, I think along the similar lines of Cass and Sony, when it comes to this podcast, it comes down to the storytelling. And on the marketing side of things, it's understanding how that story can be told and captured by the right audience to make sure that everyone can hear stories that inspire them and they really connect with. Amazing. And I'll introduce myself as well, Farhan Manjiani, and professionally, I am in product marketing for a speech text company called Rev, helping folks unlock the barriers of communication or transcend those barriers rather. And podcast wise, I help out getting some speakers for the podcast. So a little bit of an important job is helping making sure we have the right guests um, to have an enjoyable time for each and every one of you. And that's one of my biggest passions, ultimately why I joined this project, which is I'm passionate about dispelling the myth 
that Ismailis think they are the only one, the only one in their world, only one in the company, in their industry. My belief is that there is an Ismaili at every level, every company, every industry. And my passion is just bringing them together and helping them realize as well. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so Sony, help us understand. Let's dive in back to the beginning of this project. You first got this conversation of a podcast. Where did it even begin? How do we even start off? And where do we get the name, The Smiley Connection? Yeah, so that's a lot to unpack there. So I'll start with the first question. The idea for this specific podcast stems from the Diamond Jubilee Alliance Conference, or DJAC, which was the first ever U.S. conference for Ismaili professionals that happened over a weekend in October. And I remember there were hundreds of Ismaili professionals across all career levels and industries. And it hits your point, too, that Ismailis can be in all different types of job levels. And it was incredibly inspiring to hear people share their stories of how they broke barriers or juggled life hardships and their careers and so forth. But I also remember a lot of college graduates and early career professionals didn't exactly have the means to be able to fly to Dallas to attend DJAC. And I thought it would be so cool to take these stories and conversations and have them live somewhere forever where people from all over could access it. So toward the end of that weekend long conference, my husband kept telling me, go talk to so-and-so. They look like they're organizing this whole thing. Go tell them about your idea. And I was just so nervous. And I thought I was a nobody, essentially. And I thought, who is going to even care about what I have to say or the ideas that I have? So I didn't take that initiative to bring up the idea that I had. And then fast forward to February, IPN had sent out a list of maybe a dozen volunteer opportunities. And at the bottom of that list was podcast production lead or something like that. But there were no other details attached to it. And it was like the role was. TBD, basically. So I thought, wow, this is it. Here's my shot. This is what I've been waiting for. The universe is making it happen for me. And looking back, the funny thing is that at DJAC, they handed everyone a little black padfolio and notebook. And in the notebook, on the second page, I wrote something like, random idea, podcast for a smiley community about is smiley's doing big things and how they got there. So it's like it's just a cool serendipitous thing that I almost manifested it. But years later, I eventually found out that IPN had also been thinking about doing a podcast for a while, but that they hadn't found the right team. And maybe Farhan, you could shed a little bit more light on that if you like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love that you manifested this into the world. And actually, you're here today, years later, where you built it and actually did it. It's so cool. It's such a wonderful story. I still remember that phone call when we had this lofty idea in early 2018 that, okay, we wanted to do the first ever in-person, largest ever for the United States conference for Ismaili professionals. And oh, by the way, we're going to get people to apply, right, to get in. We're not just going to let everybody come. And then third, we also got approval for this to be a Diamond Jubilee signature event and round everything out. And so definitely the pressure was on. But I totally agree with what you said. From the beginning, there was a constant conversation of this isn't a one and done event, right? This can't be one weekend, however many people get to attend. Like these knowledge, this conversation can't stop here. So there's so many ideas thrown around of what to do. Everything from, well, we can just build an app, right? And everyone can connect or we'll just do this every year and bring them back together. 
but a podcast was one of those ideas. But to your point, all the details of the who, how, what is this actually going to look like? How's it going to work and scale was all a TBD, but we knew something needed to happen. So it's awesome that those two puzzle pieces came together. Yeah. So in terms of how the Ismaili connection came about, we probably went through like 10 different names, Rise Up, Ismaili Impact, One Jamath, Ismaili Legacy. Ultimately, we realized that the aim of the podcast was to shed light on stories of other Ismailis across the country and the world, and also just connect each other with these stories. I love that. And wouldn't be surprised, we're calling it here. If you see some programs, Legacy already exists, but in these other names, they were on our Google Docs first. So if you see some podcasts and camps with all these names, we're copywriting that here. And <laughs> yes, I just want to throw that out there. Uh, but that's awesome. It's such a brilliant and I think apt name for what we're doing here. Thanks for sharing that story. Don't you trademark a name? Did I say copyright? Yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a legal person. Well, copyright, um, it doesn't matter. I just was trying to be... Snark. Thanks for educating me. It's okay. <laughs> I love it. So, Sony, tell us, what did the early days of a podcast look like? What were some of those key lessons learned from that first episode? Yeah, so honestly, there was so much that went on behind the scenes. We created a survey to better understand the audience and their needs and interests. We also had to think through what kind of stories would be interesting to people and what kinds of speakers we'd want to highlight. So that included thinking about diversity and not just the speakers we feature, but the industries and the variety of life experiences. And I think some of the biggest lessons that we learned is that you really need a team that believes in the same vision as you do and team members that are willing to be open-minded, to try new things, to push each other. I know that's a lot, but I think without all of that, it can really take a long time for something to get off the ground, whether it's because of creative differences or something else. And the second part of that is that it's really important to focus your mental outlook in the right direction. And in terms of that, it's just really critical to have patience and a strong belief that what you're creating is super important to you because you're likely to face criticism and pushback from people along the way. And you have to truly believe that what you're trying to do and what it is that you're capable of doing or creating is worth it. Absolutely. A much more crass way of saying that is Haters going to hate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, haters going to hate, but you got to keep on going on. Absolutely. I love that. What were some of the first lessons learned when you got to the first episode? Yeah, so first lessons learned when I got to the first episode, making sure that I'm mindful of the speaker's time. You know, as a journalist, like I can talk forever with people, but having to recognize that we have to be more organized, come up with a set of questions or topics to talk about, share that with the speaker beforehand, prep the speaker, get to know the speaker a little bit, see what their speaking style is like, see if they're even comfortable, if they've ever done public speaking before. And I realized after the first episode that we had to create that process where we do these pre-calls with speakers and that we talk to them for about 20 to 30 minutes. And then we do the actual interview with them and then we had to really be mindful of their time. And so it's like, okay, like I have these questions ready. Of course, there might be more questions that pop up during the conversation. Let's try to make sure everything happens within an hour and not like two hours. Though I will say, and I will admit that recently, interviews have been hitting two hours, but people are just so interesting. It's just so yeah. hard to restrict everyone. 
But yeah, I think like after the first episode, we understood how to create that process and get things done and make sure everyone's ready to go. Yeah, you learn and pivot so quickly. It's so awesome to hear as you start to kind of flesh out and unpack. This is what this needs to look like to scale. It's so awesome that you learned that on episode one and quickly did it. I'm curious because you mentioned from your journalist background, you're not unfamiliar <laughs> with having these lengthy conversations with folks and diving deep. At any point, did this feel almost an extension of work, right? Exactly what you're doing at work or how did you keep your like, passion for this going? So for me, it was different than what I do at work. Although the mechanics of talking to people or cold calling people or cold reaching out to people is very similar with what a journalist does or a reporter does and what we would do on the podcast. But I think because in my professional life, it's very much tax focused and policy focused that it just felt like two different parts of my life. And so with the podcast, it was more of like just getting to know people instead of getting to know like technical mm -hmm. stuff, which I had to do at yeah. work. So Cass, I would love to hear, you know, you mentioned you're an audio engineer at work and then in your free time, you're also an audio engineer and they say you truly love what you're doing when you do it in your free time. Is that the case for you or just help us understand here? That's interesting way to put it. Well, so I will say that I was doing this for free a lot earlier than I was doing this uh, for money. So I guess you could say that. <laughs> okay. um, uh, so I went to school for... Um, audio engineering in the music school at DePaul. And I kind of went through a lot of different stages. Like I started very heavily music focused and then transitioned into film work, game sound design here and there. And then I found that like I enjoyed the storytelling aspects of the film work more and the variety of work, as well as being able to work with voice, sound, and then also music as well. So kind of combining all aspects of sound. And then I would say I like what I do. Uh, yeah. This project allows me to do a bunch of different parts of the thing that I like to do. Yeah. And I mean, you're clearly not unfamiliar with this type of work, both from your academic world, your other Seva world, and even professionally. Would you say that in producing this podcast, was this more repetition of what you've done already in the past? Or are you pulling things together that you've learned and this is the culmination? How is this different from what you do in your day-to-day -day job? Okay, so I would say that what I do for the podcast is very much more similar to what I do day-to-day -day now than what I was doing directly before those projects. So like when I started working on this project with Sony and, and everyone, I was kind of in a very transitional phase, which a lot of people who I wasn't just out of school, but like it had been less than a year since I had graduated. So I was still in the figuring it out process yeah. of it all. So I was very ad hoc doing random things. I was doing a lot of like live sound and then doing projects on the side and also doing an internship. I started this podcast editing project at the same time as me getting my podcast production job. I was literally walking from my internship to a Starbucks to talk to my current boss <laughs> I was talking to Sony on the way there about this project. <laughs> so it was all happening at the same time. So that's a really fun story. But yeah, so I would say that my day-to-day -day is very similar to this. What I will say comparing the two is since I was doing them at the same time, I was kind of taking what I had learned from the past and like reapplying it to this context because I'd never done a podcast before. And then I was taking what I learned at work and 
applying those techniques to this project and then expanding on them and making them my own. Because a lot of audio engineering work and a lot of engineers will tell you this is you will learn how to do things from watching videos, watching other engineers, just learning from osmosis, essentially, and from just listening to the world around you and listening to other like media. At the end of the day, you kind of discover your own way of doing things. You take a conglomerate of all the things that you learn and you put them into that. So this project was that for me, uh, allowing me to like take pieces, bits and pieces of what I do at work and apply it and then go beyond that and not have to like stay in the structure that I would for work because I have to like hand off sessions and whatnot. Awesome. Yeah, that's so interesting just seeing the dichotomy between the two worlds and just how you constantly switch, but at the same time complement both pieces. And clearly you have all the expertise here. So for, for uh. all the folks you know, <laughs> listening, lots of blogs and articles breaking down your top tools, but walk us through what was that process like for you? You joined the team, you realized that you're the only one who knows what you're talking about. <laughs> How, what's step one, right? Like what tools do you actually need for folks who are trying to start their own podcast or trying to scale a podcast right now? Yeah. Okay. So what I do for this project and for most of the other projects I work on is I use Pro Tools, which is considered industry standard for most things. In podcasts, it's definitely more laissez-faire. I think in podcasts, you kind of use whatever you know. And I know Pro Tools because of my background from music, from school, and then from film work, because that's definitely like the industry standard in that. And my boss uses it. And that's what I have the most proficiency in. It's a bit of an expensive tool. So is a bunch of the other toys that I use. <laughs> but Tools? No, they're toys. <laughs> when you're having fun, tools are toys. Yeah. That's true. I wouldn't say if you want to do a podcast, you have to use Pro Tools and like Isotope RX. If you have Audacity, which is free, that has basically everything you would need. It's a little bit more clunky than Pro Tools is, in my opinion. And with any of these, you will have to learn basically the nuts and bolts of audio production, which would be like editing and then making sure you have fades and whatnot, proper file formats and whatnot, making sure you're not degrading the sound so much before you actually start working with it. Just kind of like audio compression and EQ at least. So if you're a beginner, just download Audacity and start playing with it. You can record yourself in it and just talk about something for an hour and then just mess around with it and put it on Anchor or something if you want. But if you're a little more experienced, if you've used Logic Pro X, you can totally do editing with that. GarageBand is a bit less complicated version of Logic, but I would definitely pick Logic over GarageBand. But it just whatever fits your budget. Reaper is free, but definitely more complicated than all the other ones that I've mention. Yeah. And then for more of that beginner audience, there's so many pieces that you've mentioned as part of the process. There's your editing, there's your hosting, there's your music. Yeah. Can you talk about when you were trying to figure out what do I even use? I mean, on one hand, you know, you have work and like you can just go ask some of the, the other folks there and, and lean on them. But what are some other resources you use to just mm -hmm. figure out what's a good source for this? Google is definitely your best friend in most scenarios, right? That's the best answer. <laughs> but specific like blogs. So for Pro Tools, I use like the um, Avid DUC, which is essentially like a, not a blog, but um, a Reddit for creators. Is that is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> specifically for Pro Tools. And a okay. lot of different things have them. Like there's gear and then another word that is a 
swear word, but just look up <laughs> gear <laughs> and then just insert something and you'll figure it out probably. Honestly, like if you want to learn about compression, go to YouTube, type in audio compression for podcasting. You'll find literally a thousand videos probably. Just watch one of them. If that one doesn't make sense, watch a different one. And <laughs> if that one doesn't make sense, maybe you can look up an article or something. If you're more of a visual learner, just find what works for you. And honestly, yeah, YouTube, everyone uses YouTube nowadays, right? Or Google stuff. I can't really say there's a specific place, but often for your digital audio workstation, if you have specific questions in that, there's probably some sort of resource. So just reach out in those communities. Facebook groups are great, especially student-oriented audio Facebook groups. There's plenty of podcast support groups as well. You can always find someone to help you there. Nice. Any specific ones on Facebook you want to plug? Yeah. So I'm in Hey Audio Student Facebook, which is a great group. There's a lot of supportive people. That's very much for someone who's like a young professional, but there's obviously older people. It's a bit of like a mentoring kind of platform, but um, awesome. people will post job stuff there, but you can always ask a question. They might tell you to Google it, but sometimes people will answer. <laughs> Did you Google uh, it? Always the first question. <laughs> that's usually, yeah. <laughs> There's one podcast one that I think would be good. It's called Podcast Support Community. Awesome. Super helped, straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you helped? I helped someone on there once. I just like commented on their post. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Good that you're giving back all this wonderful knowledge <laughs> that you have. And, and of okay. course, we're so lucky to, to have you. Curious, Cass, when, when you were thinking about this opportunity versus all the other things that, that you have going on, like what about this podcast was interesting for you? What made you want to be involved in this? Yeah, so I will say I think I had taken a bit of a break from like doing Jamath kind of stuff. I was really focused on more career-oriented things. That was just my focus for mm-hmm. towards the end of school. I think I was missing that aspect of Seva in my life because mm-hmm. I grew up doing a lot of Seva. So the fact that that opportunity just kind of like showed up, I was like, oh, okay, this seems interesting. It aligns with the work I do day to day. And I think it was a mix of me wanting to do some save work, give back to the community, having not done it for a while. And then also the actual project was aligned with what I do so that I could bring value to it because being a professional in that field, as well as I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. And third thing of the concept of telling stories and different Ismaili professionals. I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to be a part of it. I'm so glad that you became a part of it. (laughs) I do want to add a quick thing to bounce off of Cass's thought about Seva. That was also a similar thing with me where when I was younger, I was a part of Girl Scouts. I taught for Excite classes. And then for years after college, it was completely hopped off the volunteer like bandwagon. And so I think that was also a reasoning for me to join IPN's podcast team as well. Yeah, that hiatus seems to be a, a common theme in folks' lives and completely understandable, right? Like it's tough, but it's awesome that everyone had the flexibility to start and stop and find the opportunity and the time to take advantage and build out this podcast. Uh, thanks so much, Aunt Cass. I really appreciated learning a little Thank bit more you. about you. Samin, let's hear a bit more on the marketing side. Obviously, you have a ton of expertise in not just podcast marketing, but just across the board. Would love if you could just start off by educating us a little bit on your background some more. Sure. So 
I think the thing that I love most about marketing just in general is that it's a really, really accessible career space. And I say that because I started out interning in high school, started out like interning at very small companies where I was literally the single intern that they had and they just needed to build something from zero followers. So I created these little following campaigns where I looked at like hashtags of things that were related to what the company was related to. And then I started following people based on what they were interested in so that they could start reacting to posts that I created on behalf of these companies. So I started out there and then tried a little bit of a different area and I shifted gears from social media marketing and organic social marketing over to what we called Consumer Insights. And so Consumer Insights was for a business to consumer company. So it was essentially a very different concept because I stopped really communicating with the audiences on a regular basis and started to understand how we needed to communicate to those audiences as a company, what customers were looking for and what people were trying to understand and get out of our product. I remember the Consumer Insights job was funny because it was a lot of qualitative marketing for me because I wasn't necessarily skilled in like SPSS, which is what you needed for a lot of the quicker quant stuff. And there were a couple of times where we were talking about shipping and Canadians were sending in their answers and it's a US based company. And there were several, several Canadians who were like, this shipping policy is not neighborly whatsoever. <laughs> and they just got so upset. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And so every time I would have to categorize them, create like a little graph and then send that out in these decks. And I was like, you guys, please let's find some way to ship these products to them and make it a little bit easier. So they're like stranded in Quebec and they're not having it. Then I had some time in Consumer Insights. I really loved it. My team made all the difference. And then I spent about six months doing product marketing at a business to business company. And the product that I was marketing is containers and not physical Tupperware containers. I would tell people it's always just, it's like this concept of your architecture and how you build the architecture of your applications and your servers and everything like that. And it was a really complicated concept. And it was a very different way of talking to people and marketing to people because your audience shifted so much because in business to business, they always emphasize that you're marketing to people, but you're marketing a product that people still have to learn about. And the product in particular that I was in charge of was something that the company considered to be a very unique offering. So it shifted from originally where I was speaking directly to a consumer to then going to what does our consumer want and what are they looking for to finally asking the question of, well, how do I have this conversation with them and how do I make sure that the things that I'm talking about actually do genuinely matter to them? That's where I was in product marketing. And then finally, I am now in demand generation marketing, which is a little bit less in the weeds than product marketing, but could talk about it for ages. It's essentially just building that awareness and bringing people in and making sure that they have some interest in your product and also know that your product exists because it's no longer the point where I'm working with someone who calls herself a mompreneur where I can just go on social media and follow people who follow my hashtags needed to find some other way to drop folks in. So that's the long-winded. Awesome. Thank you so much for that background and education, right? Like so often it's so simple to kind of condense all of marketing into like you sit around and tweet, right? Or, or you just post things <laughs> on Instagram and then that's it. You call yourself a marketer, but it's so amazing. I love how you just kind of painted the brush from everything from there's 
so much nuance to that, whether you're marketing directly to consumers, direct to businesses, whether you have that aspect of globalization, whether it's a technical concept that you have to simplify or not, like who is that audience and what do they really care about? Tell us a little bit more when you brought all this wealth of knowledge to a podcast, right? And, and you think about a lot of the same things, right? Global podcast, global audience, ranging in age and industry, all sorts of things. What are the nuances that you think about regularly in marketing podcast? Yeah, so I think that with this podcast in particular, it was really nice to have the IPN platform to kind of start out with because it did enable us to kind of narrow down that target audience. So our teams always start with like this huge, okay, this is everyone who's available to market to on LinkedIn, on Twitter, in the world, all of our companies as they exist. Now, who's actually going to find this information relevant? For us, our baseline form of what's going to be relevant because it's the Smiley Connection podcast is going to be Smiley's around the world because IPN is the space that we're going into. A lot easier to kind of focus in on folks in IPN. But then going from there, it gets a little bit tougher because we're back to this organic social concept where you're not necessarily paying for the people to come in. You're not paying to have something promoted and show up based on some of the tags and their member interests and things like that. But instead, you need to capture their interest with the copy and a lot of our episodes have done a really fantastic job of just bringing in those stories and bringing in different folks from everywhere and from all these different fields and things like that. And so it's a matter of capturing the attention of the folks within IPN and within our Smiley community who find those fields relevant. And it may not just be like calling all marketers, calling all of our audio techs, you know, it's, it's, it's something very different. It's calling the folks who consider themselves creative, calling all the folks who are looking to try something different, calling the folks who want to change somewhere in the middle. They want to start a side hustle. They want something different. They have a really great idea, but they don't know how to build that up. And we come in and say, hey, somebody else did this. Here's what you can learn from them. It comes down a lot more to like the copy than I really thought it ever would, more so than hashtags and the algorithms, which is where my work life lives. So it's really nice to kind of be able to go back to that root of how do you tell that story? How do you have that hook that everyone talked about and that we learned in like ninth grade English? Like, how do you hook? What's your thesis sentence? Yeah. And that's your line of copy. Your thesis is your line of copy. Your thesis sentence, not the entire paper that you have during college. Right. <laughs> right. It's... It's so funny that, that you said that, right? Because it's almost the exact opposite. We were learned and really trained to make these super lengthy statements and you get into the real world. And it's like, actually, I need you to say that whole thing in like 30 seconds or less because yeah. I don't have time, <laughs> right? And, and so I completely understand. Sure. Obviously, as a product marketer, messaging and positioning is like most of my life. <laughs> I totally empathize there. I'd love to hear more around when you mentioned that within businesses, for example, in your demand gen role, it's generally a much more focused person that you're trying to market to versus like you mentioned with the podcast, you're trying to speak to a lot of different people with different interests and different expectations and tolerances in terms of time that they're going to spend and different things that are going to hook them. Where's that inspiration for you come from? Are there particular organizations or communities? Who do you look to? Yeah, I think... I've never, I don't necessarily want to name a specific sure. person. I think that for me, a lot of it is just when you spend time online and you just start noticing like all the different ways that people market and the different campaigns that people have. And it's really interesting the way that they choose to speak to you. So for example, Google just released the advertising campaign that was for 
getting a vaccine. And so they started it with like social distancing and then you clear that search bar and then you put in a couple of other words and then you clear that search bar and slowly like you start to feel the hope come back as you no longer have to say quarantined family activities and you can just say family activities. So a lot of it is just looking at some of those everyday sources and being like, hmm, I wonder like what that overarching campaign is. It's a little bit interesting that they chose to message that way because if I were, for example, like an anti-vaxxer, then all of a sudden when I see the first 20 seconds of that commercial, I think that it's 110% fine to just walk outside without my mask. But that wasn't the point of their messaging. So really it depends on like, okay, where did they show it? Why did they choose this channel? Super Bowl commercials, those are super fun to watch and analyze. But then on a daily basis, on my Spotify the other day, I work for the cybersecurity area of a company. And on my Spotify, they had like a little display ad that showed up. And I was like, I really wonder how much that cost them. But also, it's really funny to me that that's the only cybersecurity banner that I've gotten on my Spotify, because I listen to Spotify every single day. Yeah. So it's a lot of finding the ways that people are trying to communicate with me and understanding that I can turn that around and seeing how to turn that back around to our audience, if you will. Totally. That inspiration can come from anywhere, right? Like from your work, from the music that you're listening to, the billboards that you're seeing when you do drive. So there's just so much to learn. It's really awesome to hear that. It's not just kind of one singular place, but you got to pick and choose and put it all together. So now I'd love to hear from any of you, all of you on some of these questions, but really just digging a little bit more now that we've heard more of your personal stories, but just like at a high level, what does it even take? A to Z, finding a speaker, all the way being ready to push that big red button that says launch. What timeline are we even talking right now? The button's blue, technically. So <laughs> 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 I could take that question first. Ideally, it would take two to three weeks, but right now it's more like four to six weeks from ideation to publication. And of course, there's some actions along the way that can happen a little bit more quickly than other parts of the supply chain, if you will. But yeah, to break it all down, I think we should start with Furhan first, since he's the start of the line when it comes to choosing a speaker and how that works. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, that's the hardest part, right? Like you mentioned, there's so much pre-discussion to even figure out pitch, profile, et cetera, to figure out who exactly we're gonna go to, but then also sell them a little bit, right? On why this would be interesting and a fun opportunity for them. I would say once we've chosen an actual person, about a week turnaround before I'm ready to actually like craft some sort of outreach, whether that's gonna be email or getting an intro from someone else. It's at least one week right there. And then after that, it maybe takes three to four hours for me to go through your really helpful notes and, you know, listen to any like discovery call recordings that Furhan does or has. And then after that, the interviews themselves take between one to two hours. That's the fun part. But then the hard part is structuring and cutting and editing out that audio on paper and trying to create a narrative. And sometimes, honestly, that could take up to eight hours for me to do, if not more. And then I have to write the voiceover, the intros, the outro, record everything. And then I take it all and hand it all over to Cass. <laughs> yeah, Sony sends me the files and we send off the script to be reviewed by people once it's like in a ready state. I'll take that. I'll cut from the original to a build session is what I call it. I put the pieces in the order that they should because some things get moved around from the original recording and then... 
leaf spacer vo if i don't have it yet and then add that in that whole process building and editing it down cutting out like you knows and ums and all the things that i've been saying mostly from me <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> you make me sound great i'll, I'll give you that thanks <laughs> but yeah so i cut that stuff out that takes it kind of just depends on the actual episode and how long it is but i usually take a week to turn that around and add music and any sound effects and stuff uh, and then we have like a couple days of back and forth and then we post it but there's a whole other side that happens that i'm not really in on i think samin can talk about that the second yes. red button the real red button rather <laughs> yes. as post what happens then i think that one might be blue as well um <laughs> but <laughs> we need more red buttons but yeah, so marketing happens sometime as a lot of the audio editing happens. So when Cass sends over that first or second recording, I personally find it a little bit easier to listen to the story versus just reading it. But Sony also pulls together these really fantastic transcripts that we also publish on the site to make everything accessible for whatever situation anyone is in to listen, to read, to hear the story wherever possible. But that said, so while I listen to that story, I start picking out little quotes and pieces of the story that we can make into little bits of copy that are, like I said, those thesis sentences, those attention grabbing hooks. What are you going to be interested in this podcast in particular? And if step one is the fact that dust connects from Africa to South America, then step two can also be the interracial marriage that's in the same podcast. So how do we pull all those pieces in and make it into a cohesive story that connects with different parts of Ismaili identities? So a lot that happens before the big blue button, <laughs> for sure. It's not as simple as that. But I mean, with hours and hours over weeks, how are you finding the time to, to do this? How do you make the time to do this in addition to your other responsibilities? Is this a balance for you? Maybe Sonny, you could kick us off? Yeah, I'll take that one first as well. <laughs> so I personally think that balance is kind of a misleading term because it gives this impression that everything in your life has to be equally divided. And honestly, it doesn't. And I think that instead it should be more of a work-life harmony which I think differs for every person because we all have different needs, different values, different responsibilities. So for me, it's like I kind of take it week by week and I kind of look at my overall harmonization of work, IPN, family time, me time, and just other things that I do outside of all those other categories. I just try to make sure that if there are three days out of the seven days that I'm constantly working on other things and not myself, that the remaining days, I take time to actually unwind, spend time with family, or read a book or something like that. But that changes every week. So it's hard to basically do things evenly. And it's more of like, what works for you? I can absolutely attest that you're very intentional in building a culture in this team that allows for that flexibility. So people like me who like to, you know, just time box and, and get it all done in, in that little box versus, like you said, thinking about, well, where have I spent my time this week? And I'm not ready to give this to this project just yet. It's awesome that you've been able to allow for both types of folks on the team. So I like that way of putting it and thinking about it. For me, it's a little bit different because the work on this podcast is very similar to like what I do every day constantly. So at times, I think because of the volume of the similarity of work, I do get burned out. But I think as long as I take time for breaks in that, even though I love doing this kind of work, 
taking time for myself and doing other things that I love. I think kind of finding time for that kind of stuff is important, like cooking or listening absolutely. to music or spending time with people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so often, right, like when people are, are trying to choose whether or not they have time for Seva, I think one thing that's often forgotten is it's almost this flywheel of doing Seva work can actually help you a bunch in your professional job. And sometimes like in your case, or maybe even in your case, I mean, what you're doing professionally, you bring those best practices to your Seva. I would love to hear a little bit more. How has that worked for you, Samin, from your professional job to the podcast? Yeah, I think a lot of it was what have I learned in terms of writing copy in the past. And so it comes back, but going back to Cass's point about burnout and stuff, it's still very similar to the copy that I'm writing at work or just simply the fact that I write copy at work as well. So I think that in terms of the way that I've brought my professional world back to the podcast has been a lot of like the things that I've learned about writing and talking to people and creating these stories and also like being able to gauge what you're going to be interested in. And then a lot of what I've learned about target marketing and things like that, really making sure that your audience are the people who are going to hear you versus the people that you're just talking to. But I think in a lot of ways, the podcast has also helped me avoid some of that burnout because it's nice to focus on writing copy and telling the story versus just sending out emails or hoping that everything is all set in stone and getting all the strategy done. This kind of brings me back to it's a different use case in a different world. And so it's really nice to do something that I enjoy in a space where my paycheck is not on the line, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And Cass, I know you alluded to this earlier of like mm -hmm. having an opportunity to have two different platforms to do basically the same thing. What has that allowed you to do? I think the just piggybacking off of what Samin said, the fact that she has the ability to do similar work, but her paycheck's not online. I think I definitely vibe with that a lot because, yeah, having that flexibility to kind of make something your own and not being, you're not like forced to stay in your own bubble, you're free to explore. And the team is very open about like the different things that I try, trying various pieces of music and doing like sound design sequences and whatnot. So I think just having that in the sense that like allows me to hone my skills as well as just kind of like learn what works for me and what my like voice is, I guess, in the context of the audio medium. Awesome. And Sony, in the last you know two years, when you think about, you talked about some of the skills that your work as a journalist has, has helped in, in this case, but I guess maybe looking at the other way, what are some of the podcasts kind of given you that hasn't been satisfied at work? Yeah, I think for me, it's exercising my like creative juices. Also relate to what Samin and Cass said about being able to have the podcast be this experimentation or experimental ground for us and being able to do sort of whatever we want to do and then learning from these creative experiences and then eventually like bringing it to our jobs after we've sort of figured out how things work. But yeah, it's just kind of allowed me to tap into that creative side, just the other half of my brain that isn't really yeah. exercised as much in the workplace. Your left brain and your right brain. So at the end of the week, you feel completely developed. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. What about you, I love Farhan? That. Yeah, good question. I think for me, I relate a lot to what Samin had mentioned earlier when she goes at AWS and talking about, you know, this abstract 
idea that is like highly technical in nature, right? And you're talking to product managers and developers all day. That is my day job. So when it comes to talking about how's in a smiley made your life awesome, to me, that is just a much easier concept, I think, to focus on doing the same thing I do at work, which is almost that translation of how can I take this big abstract idea and really drill down the actual meaning to this and like what is valuable to this person and how what's the best way to communicate it right going back to messaging and positioning for me my work has allowed me to hone this in the most difficult environment i would say and so i get to further sharpen those skills if you will through the podcast and doing speaker outreach and play the fun game of what's gonna hook that speaker as you mentioned earlier Awesome. Cass, Samin, Sony, thank you so much for your time this evening. We have learned a ton. Clearly, there's so much that goes in behind pushing the blue button. <laughs> Not the red button but <laughs> thanks so much, all of you, for taking some time to educate us today. Thank you, Farhan. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. It was great. I learned a lot about my team, so <laughs> that was nice. Thank you all very much for listening to this episode of The Smiley Connection. If you want to get to know more about starting or scaling your own podcast or chat with anyone on the team, check out the description in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this show so far, please give us a rating on Apple or Google Podcasts and leave a review. A five-star review goes a long way to help us boost our message. We really appreciate your support. And if you're not ready to give us a five-star review, give us another try with the next episode. And of course, if you know any amazing people with compelling stories, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at ipnpodcast at ipnonline.net. This episode was produced by Sony and edited by Cassie. Our cover art is designed by Nadia Khan and Shaquille Mohammed. Marketing for this episode was carried out by Samin Jawani. And many thanks to Zoha, the head of strategic initiatives, who was instrumental in editing this episode. And Sony, thanks for taking a turn in the hot seat. Thanks again for listening. Be safe and be well.